This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This is E-Factor Radio, created by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. And now here's your host, David Wolf. Imagine building a career in business around what you absolutely love to do. In his career, Gary Bernstein has produced films, commercials, infomercials for more than 200 international celebrities and Fortune 500 companies, such as, and you've heard these all, Revlon, Avon, NBC, American Express, Cartier, Ford, Nikon, and Walmart, many more. He's photographed some of the world's most famous personalities, Elizabeth Taylor, Sophia Loren, Johnny Carson, Farrah Fawcett, Jay Leno, Sybil Shepard, and many more. His still photographs have appeared on the covers or pages of some of the world's major magazines. Joining us on the line from his studios in Hollywood, California to share his story and perspective on all things photography and filmmaking, Gary Bernstein. Gary, welcome to the program. David, thanks a lot for having me. It's great to be with you. Our pleasure. Take us back to a young Gary Bernstein. How and where did your drive to create images come from? Well, it may sound very trite, and, and depending on the age of, of the, uh, the audience we have for this, they may not even remember that at one time there was a Kodak camera called the Box Brownie, which literally was a black box. And uh, when I was uh, uh, a child, my parents had a Box Brownie, as most families in America did. It was a box that had a lens on the front and a roll of film on the back, and I literally started out uh, just taking snapshots when I was a kid, and I fell in love with it. That became a very significant hobby for me. I found out at a young age that uh, I could make money with a camera, that I, I was very lucky because people liked the way I, make, I made them look in pictures. And um, that became a business for me at Penn State. I, I went into Penn State, and it was a very expensive school coming from out of state. And I was studying architecture there and, and got my degree in architecture from Penn State, but I literally put myself through school shooting photographs. Uh, Penn State being the size university it was even back then, they had 60 to 70 sororities and fraternities on campus. And at the time, every uh, fraternity or sorority had to have what was called a composite, which was a very large framed series of photographs of, of uh, in the case of a sorority, every one of the girls in the sorority house, and there may have been 40 members, and everyone was photographed the exact same way. They were wearing typically a pink sweater and a white pearl necklace. Well, I had this concept that I could go into the sorority and show them some of my pictures, which were really 
copies of, of images the way you would see them in Vogue or Glamour uh, magazine or Harper's Bazaar, and they love the, the girls love the idea of, of being photographed like fashion models. Yeah, and I literally uh, sort of revolutionized the way composites were being shot at Penn State. And while I was going to school to get my degree in architecture, I made a tremendous amount of money shooting uh, sorority composites. Which led to me coming out of school, uh, went back to my hometown of Washington, D.C., and I opened up a photo studio rather than uh, going into architecture. And it was also a, a foreshadowing for the kind of work you would ultimately become uh, very successful for with magazine covers. Well, I, I, was, I was very lucky. Very soon after that, probably within a year of setting up that studio in Washington, D.C., I remember I borrowed about $5,000 from a bank, and I moved to New York. That 5000 was gone in one day between first and last on, uh, on a studio and renting an apartment, and I was very, very fortunate in New York. I, I pounded the pavement. I found some clients who liked my work, and uh, thank God I was hired uh, from the time I got into the city. And yes, all of my work was commercial work. It was magazine and editorial work. Uh, started shooting for Esquire magazine at a very early age. And as is still the case, if you want uh, good-paying commercial clients, it usually starts out by shooting editorial pages for magazines where those clients get to see your names. How has the chemistry of, of film changed, understanding that we're living in a digital world now, too? I mean, do photographers like you still choose to shoot on film? Yeah, I shoot on film and I shoot digital. And... As much as I hate to admit it, I think you can pretty much achieve the same look on either. I've gravitated so that 90, 95% of my work is on digital at this point. And again, with the, with the wonderful applications that we have at, in, in Photoshop, yeah. there's very little that I can't uh, create on my computer that used to be far more difficult to create on film. Right. The reality is this. I mean, to be totally uh, honest, we, we were always creating special effects. One way or the other, we, we, we didn't have the level of sophistication. You can see that in, in motion pictures today. But there were always wonderful retouchers, both uh, I, I remember that I would use in New York and L.A. that would finish up work, yeah. regardless of whether it was basic retouching or if you needed some special applications. Right. But there's nothing that gives you the, uh, the abilities that you have in digital today. So it sounds as though you can get back to simulating, I'll say, the, the kinds of, of uh, nuances and colors and saturation or not that you're able to get with film. But it sounds like you can get back to it with digital. Yeah, I think the, I think the look is similar enough. And in many cases, uh, you can create visual images that have far more impact because of, of the capabilities that you have with digital. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the bottom line is this. Uh, when you're talking about the photography of people, and, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't love doing scenics and macro and other stuff for fun, but, but my business has always been shooting people. And when you're talking about the photography of people, the single most important thing is that you either please the person or you please the client. And in most cases, especially if you're talking about celebrities, you have to do both. Yeah. And... Perhaps the least important thing in terms of pleasing those two elements or those two entities is things like uh, resolution, uh, color saturation, digital manipulation. Because when you have a person that's involved who has to be pleased with their own image, the least of their concerns are things like 
resolution and color balance to a great extent. Things like lighting, lighting angle, lens selection, composition, camera position, perspective, these sorts of things are critically important to them. Not that they even know what they're looking for. Mm. It's just like you when you see a picture yourself, David. If I hand you a picture, you couldn't care less about what lens it was taken with or what the lighting ratio is or, or anything else. You, you, it's a very simple decision. You either like it or you don't like it. And regardless of who you're photographing, whether it's Jay Leno or Jay Blumberg, they have the same concerns. Yeah. They either like their image or they don't like it. Now, if you're shooting that image for a Revlon or American Express or an NBC, now you've got another element that has to be pleased, and that's the advertising agency or the art director. That's right. So bottom line is all of those digital manipulations don't necessarily help you with either of those elements. I wanted to take a tour of the Gary Bernstein studio as a business, understanding much of our audience is entrepreneurial. Give us a sense of who works with you, what the physical configuration of your business is today. I'm imagining you are still doing much of the work, but I could be wrong. What's the, uh, what does the universe look like inside the business of Gary Bernstein's studio? Well, in terms of the number of people, it's never been smaller. It's just me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I had studios in New York and L.A., you know, we had a handful of people that, that uh, may have been on staff, right. but it was never a big staff. The fact that my business was so personalized, the fact that it was a client who pretty much demanded, ultimately, and, and, and thank God they did, that I was the guy behind the camera or the guy who was producing whatever the situation might be, meant that I had to deal hands-on with the people. It doesn't mean that I didn't have agents that booked gigs for me. It just means that the way I started to try and secure clients to a great extent is precisely how the new entrepreneur or the person trying to get started in photography is going to have to try to secure clients today. Now, with a caveat, a big one, I had to do it really one at a time through the mail or pounding the pavement or carrying a portfolio around, waiting in, in reception rooms, knocking on doors. It was before the advent of, of, of the digital re uh, revolution and, and everything that you have with, with re remarkable social networking tool tools like those on eFactor and the unique abilities you have with email today. We didn't have any of that. So consequently, you can get to a lot more people today a lot faster, but you still have to get them to look. In terms of the structure of my business, I'm fortunate. After as many years as I've been in the business, people know what I do, and if they want that sort of look, they call. I don't really do promotion anymore, and I don't even have studios anymore. I work out of my house, and the fact of the matter is, being in L.A. or shooting in any major city, or even in minor cities today, there are so many wonderful studios for rent that there's no reason to maintain that kind of overhead. I remember when I closed my studios in New York, L.A., I found out I was making a lot more money. Yeah. There's no reason to, to, to pay for, um, for studio overhead today, particularly not if you're doing commercial photography. Now, if you're talking about portrait photography... Uh, to a great extent, that, that's entirely different, particularly if you're looking for street trade, for walk-in trade, where you have to have a street presence. 
but that's not my business. My business, uh, quite fortunately, has always been commercial shooting for very good clients and for highly visible individuals. Um, doesn't mean that I don't do portrait shootings as well. I do. But that was never my principal business. You point to uh, perhaps a good segue to the entrepreneur, the young photographer that wants to enter a business like this. You mentioned that the way of sales has changed, and I'm presuming you were dealing mostly with ad agencies during that period where you had studios. How has the uh, agency ecosystem changed? Is it a much different world than the one you came up in? I think it is just because of sheer numbers alone. I mean, yeah. it was never easy to get in to uh, to see the best art directors and the biggest agents. I mean, I think it, to a great extent it's fortunate that most people are not uh, trying to deal in Chicago, New York, and L.A. But even in secondary markets today, and with all, all, all due respect to those cities that are not Chicago, New York, or L.A., it's very tough to get in to see art directors. And there were always a heck of a lot more photographers than there were jobs that were available. And I think just as in sports, where every generation seems to be able to run faster, there's better training methods, they're more sophisticated, records are there to be broken, I really believe that there's a great many more sophisticated shooters out there. You know, it's funny, um, when I first came to L.A., there was a gentleman I met who was much older. I, I guess when I was about 30, he was about... 60 to 70, and he was in the financing business, but he started out as a photographer in Manhattan, in New York City, hmm. and he be, I'll have to Google him, because I have never really tried to Google him since the advent of Google, wow. but he used to tell me stories that he, he was a, a very successful, I know for a fact, he was a very successful commercial photographer in New York, when he said to me, there were only 20 commercial photographers in Manhattan, can you imagine Oh, my goodness. When I was there, there were thousands. And that's in 22 square miles. That's extraordinary. 20. So, I I, I mean, this is not what you're supposed to say on an interview like this. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be starting out today. (laughs) It's tough. And so I think you've got to be very sophisticated in terms of your business approach. But I can tell you this. The way you make money and become successful is by dedicating yourself to the art and to the craft. I really believe that if you are completely into the subject, and remember that, that my dedication is to that individual that's on the other side of the lens, and if you really do perfect your craft, I, and then make sure that when you're showing your work, that if there are six pieces out there and you know that five of them are strong because the reaction you get to them is that those five are strong, just don't add in the sixth piece. Go with your strongest work, constantly update it. I mean, a lot of what I'm doing today is not really still photography. I'm involved in all sorts of marketing projects uh, that involves everything from animation to film production to text to streaming video. My whole business at this point is not just photography. In fact, it's rare when I actually feel like picking up the camera at this point. I don't do it all that often because I'm very much involved in the production end of it. But I assure you that when I do pick it up, the way I feel about it is, is the same that I felt about it when I was a kid. 
that the only thing in my life is what's on the other side of that ground glass and the dedication to wanting that person that I'm photographing or the art director that I'm shooting for to love that image beyond all other images. If I'm able to produce that and create that, great, but it doesn't mean I'll ever stop trying. So my suggestion is that to the, to the person that's trying to start out, dedicate yourself to the craft, learn the basics, and there are a lot of basics to learn. Shoot, never stop shooting and trying to improve. Bounce those images off of everybody that's in your peer group and that you're associated with. Get legitimate feedback. Look at the images in magazines. If, if your aspirations are, are, are going towards the commercial, find out what art directors are buying. What is Snapple buying? What is Nike buying? What is Revlon and American Express buying? Look at those images. Make them better. If you're shooting people, again, that's all I really choose to address certainly here, get yourself affiliated with good makeup and hairstylists so that you have everything possible going for you before you get to Photoshop. And then figure out a very good marketing tool for getting yourself out there. And eFactor.com is certainly a great place to start. The whole nature of, and I know you're involved with eFactor as well, uh, a great, great model, um, an example of how social media certainly is changing the way everybody does business everywhere. Obviously, it's impacted your business as well. Sure. Well, one of the things I'm enjoying again is I'm actually uh, writing a blog for them that will be coming out called uh, The Bernstein Rules, which by its very nature is unusual because I don't really believe there are a great many rules when it comes to art. I do, however, believe in learning the basics. And by that, I mean that if you learn, for example, that most people look good most of the time when light comes from above the level of the eyes, then you'll know how to deviate from it when you want to do something that perhaps is a bit more creative and unique. And at the same time, if you learn that very basic rule that most people look best when light comes from above the height of the eyes, you won't be surprised when you've created monster lighting with light coming off of a sidewalk, hitting somebody in the face and trying to figure out why they don't look good. Yeah. So this little blog that I'll be writing that will hopefully gravitate into hundreds of different, quote, rules, really are suggestions both creatively and business-wise of how to build a career in photography and at the very least make your wife or significant other very pleased when you make photographs of them. If I were to ask you, Gary Bernstein, who influenced the way you approach your work, how would you respond? Well, the, my single greatest photographic influence was the legendary photographer Richard Avedon. From the time I was a kid, I, I loved his photographs in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. He revolutionized photography. This is a man that invented seamless paper and the umbrella, and his work is truly the, the work of legend, and I, I tried to emulate what he did. Um, if there was another person, and certainly my favorite subject of all time is, uh, is my beautiful wife, who was, uh, at the time when I met her so many years ago, uh, probably the top model in America. Uh, I remember I was just starting out, and she probably had 10 to 15 commercials, uh, national commercials running on TV, and at the wow. time I met her, it was just absolutely a dream come true, and I, I've had the pleasure of 
photographing her for for so many years and shooting books with her and uh and and, and it's a wonderful thing to have a uh, a living model like that <laughs> that uh that not only makes your photographs look so wonderful i, I keep telling people the reason my pictures uh, they, they thought my pictures looked so beautiful it was because so many of them were, were pictures of lena but um wow. she was a great influence on my work and i think maybe out of a couple hundred celebrities, maybe my favorite client was uh, Johnny Carson. What was it about Johnny's presence in the shoot or, or about the whole experience that, that moved you? The fact that he was so real and that he was so funny. Uh, I mean, you know, I've also worked with Letterman and Jay Leno was a client for about 10 years. But, but, and these guys are funny. I mean, you literally have to take laugh breaks when you're shooting. It's, it's not something they have to work on. They are naturally hilarious. But Carson was just so real, so terrific to work with. We, we related on, on a personal level. We had the same kind of views uh, socially, politically, and every yeah. other way. Yeah. I also love the fact that, that no matter how much you had to shoot in terms of the client, uh, whether it was uh, Hart Marks or whoever the campaign was for, or NBC, Carson would only shoot for one hour. Hmm. He got paid for the entire shoot. It was great. At the end of one hour, he'd say, that was it. So whatever you finished in one hour... You were done for the day, and you then had, you hung out with Johnny the rest of the day. You had to get it on film in that hour, and the rest of it was... Uh, the rest of it was just fun and games. It was hang time, yeah. Right. When you approach a subject, uh, and I know so much of what you love to do are shooting people, is there is there something in their features? In the, I mean, do you look for a hook? It's a great question. I know where you're going with it. Is there something you're looking for in a face that, that tells you how to photograph somebody? David, you know, the bottom line is this. You know, all this stuff, well, gee, you've got to have a great personality, and, and it's a terrific. That's nice, you know, if, the, if people feel comfortable with you. But as I keep emphasizing in this, if you don't control the medium physically in terms of the physics and the science and the math yeah. that's involved in putting together the image that, that is needed to make a face look good, all the good bedside manner in the world doesn't mean anything. Mm. Uh, plus, you're not really free to work with that subject if you have to think about the techniques of what do I have to do to make a good picture. So bottom line, and, and more specifically in answer to your question, the one thing I would suggest to any people photographer is that as a photographer, you do not decide, huh, there's no question, this is the best side of this guy's face. Oh, there's no question. He looks best with lighting coming from high and to the right. This is the biggest mistake you can make when you're photographing people. The best thing to do is to say, okay, fine. Now let's try it with the light slightly lower and to the left. Now let's try it with the right side or the left side of the face. In other words, the approach I went with, and this was back in the film days, this is when it actually cost you for every new additional shot you were making. <laughs> yes. It was digital, where it doesn't cost you anything to continue rolling film or roll pixels or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is, but, zeros and ones, um, right? You, you, you better shoot enough that you allow your subject to make the decision. Mm. Because I can't tell you how many times you will sit, in the case of uh, photographing a mom and the family sitting around with you, and you're going through the proofs or the contacts or whatever it is that, you, that you're using to show the, your take for the day, 
and the whole family's going, oh, mom, you look great there. You And the mom's going, no, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. And then you'll come to another shot that looks exactly like the six before it because it was shot with a motor-driven camera, and she'll go, ah, but there, I look incredible. The bottom line is there's only one person that decides how they look best, and that's the subject. So you better give them the material to make that decision. And this is true regardless of whether you're, you're shooting Jay Leno or you're shooting uh, the mother of the bride. You better shoot enough film and produce quality images that give them the choice so that they make the decision. You increase your chances for success the more you know about your medium and the more that you've shot in the past. When you talk about shooting personalities, well-known celebrities, is there anything that the rest of us just don't really know or understand about what it's like to work with them or around them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. First of all, these people rarely pay for their own work. So consequently, they are more selective and more... I'm trying to think of what, what order to express this. First of all, nothing is more important to them than their image. That's their lifeblood. That's number one. They're going to be incredibly critical about their images. Number two, it's never a matter of cost. They can hire whoever they want to hire because they're typically not paying for it. It's either a network, an ad agency, or a client that's paying for it. So, yes, they are incredibly selective. And if you want to find out if you please them, well, did you get hired to shoot them a second time? It's a real simple barometer. Are they tough to, uh, to work with? No, I, I, well, they're, they're demanding, but I believe there's, there's a reason to be demanding. I understand why they're demanding. They expect good work, and they have a right to demand good work. You know, it's a funny thing about photography. As you and I said before we started rolling tape, uh, anybody who has a cell phone today is a photographer. Well, it, 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 it really hasn't been that dissimilar through the years. You didn't need to go to school for four or five years. I mean, as, as in the old days, they had to do in Europe. Um, anyone who had a camera and a business card was a photographer. So there, there has to be some barometer for, for separating those who are going to get hired from those who aren't going to get hired. And the bottom line with people is you've you got to please the client. That's the bottom line. Gary Bernstein, a inspiration and delight to have you on E-Factor Radio. The website, www.garybernsteinstudio.com. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. Thank you, David. I appreciate being with you. Thanks for listening to E-Factor Radio. Get more podcasts with your premium membership at efactor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.